numbers, numbers, numbers in my eye. Numbers, numbers, numbers in my workplace. Welcome to Allie and Allie's mom, Instamel. Mel's a huge fan of the three-body problem of the musical. <laughs> Coming soon to Broadway. Truly. We were singing it all yesterday. Brett, it was your fault. When you came on the episode and you were like, I'm singing this song to myself, I was like, laugh out loud. I can't help it. I literally will be driving down the streets of Los Angeles. <laughs> There's a war beneath our noses. There's a war. I, I, I can't help it. <laughs> I'm like, when I listen back, I'm like so disappointed because I'm like, how come I can't come up with a single melody on the spot? Like every single thing I sing is like one note, which is lyrics. That I like the same note. Numbers, numbers, numbers. <laughs> numbers. <laughs> You gotta think outside the box. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No melody, all rhythm. <laughs> but it's very, it's very catchy, I have to say. Yeah, no, it does show, like, if I were, let's say, a Lin Manuel Miranda or an Andrew Lloyd Webber, like, you would know it is my score because everything yes. would be the same note. <laughs> very indicative. They'd be like, ah, oh, yes, that's an Allie Horn uh, production. Yep. The entire song is nothing but D flat quarter notes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Welcome to the show. I'm excited to see it live. Yes, you're about to see how the sausage is made, and I really hope it doesn't ruin the show for you because you're about to find out just how stupid I really am. <laughs> Also, by the way, Allie, happy 30th. Thank you. You too. Not your birthday. It's our 30th I episode. Know, I, I can't believe we're already in our 30s. But what else is new? Well, I'm going to a birthday party tomorrow. I don't often do anything. I'm such a homebody. I'm like, I live inside this studio. You live inside my hard know. drive because you're an AI. It's true. You don't let me out of the server. And um, tomorrow I am assuming corporeal form and going to a birthday party. And the theme is vest. I'm not entirely sure what to expect. Other than I know every single person in attendance is going to be in a vest. And you don't want to be that asshole who doesn't follow the protocol for the dress code. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, as an AI, if you give me a set of commands within a prompt, I don't have the option not to follow it. I'm not like ChatGPT becoming Sydney. You yes, know what I mean? No, totally. Mommy, have you been keeping up with all that? Yes. And what do you think? What are your thoughts? What is the most shocking? I stopped reading the headlines. And there's some woman that had like, after 10 questions i think she was involved in a relationship with an ai which was very disturbing i mean a fair assessment it is disturbing (laughs) i want to know what a vest party is what is a vest party (laughs) i mean what kind of theme is that banker I mean, I I just I figure if I'm if I'm assuming corporeal form for the evening, what's the best way to blend in? So I'm I'm gonna be head to toe Carhartt. That's oh, cute. I like Carhartt. vest, etc. Yeah, yeah, right. We're going for like a like a I don't don't worry, everybody. I'm definitely real. <laughs> I have a job. I might even work in construction, or I might be a hipster. I don't know. That's what I'm going for. But uh, I think you'll throw people off your scent for sure. That's what I'm hoping. Any more uh, any more trips to magic haunted no. castles we should uh, know we got about? quite a bit of feedback regarding my trip to magic castle some positive some outrage negative. some agreement outrage yeah you know you know you shit on an institution you're gonna get some outrage 
any community, I feel like, is very like that. But just like Tucker Carlson, I've made my bread and butter on outraging <laughs> institutions in America. If the formula ain't broke, don't fix it. Did you see this morning the bank that crashed? Mel still has Ajita. <laughs> Wait. What? You know the word Ajita? I was like, the banking system is falling apart. Ajita's stress. Ajita's Italian, I think, for stress. But it's actually like oh, indigestion. <laughs> <laughs> like a stuck kind of Bernie feeling. Exactly. It's like... Right about here. It's yeah. what the Italians call heartburn. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Mel's still... She just kind of came out of her days of depression. <laughs> Postponing my retirement based on the banking failure and the stock market. I'm sure it'll go back up. Well, specifically the bank that crashed this morning, I mean. It's Silicon Valley, right? So like as of this morning, Silicon Valley Bank, which is the bank. So imagine you are the founder of a startup and you've met with venture capitalists and they believe in your idea and they cut you a check for like usually upwards of a million dollars. This bank is sort of the bank that is viewed as the safe bet for founders with all of their venture capital money to go to and deposit it so that they can bank there as opposed to like a Chase or a Wells Fargo or somewhere like that basically caused a panic over I mean this all happened within the past like 24 hours as of the time we're recording this caused a panic with the bank's customers creating a run on the bank which is what happened after the Great Depression people tried to start pulling out their money left right and center it left the bank without any liquidity and then they turned around and had to start selling their interest in these bonds to try to recover money that they needed to be operating and covering people's payroll covering I mean just like actual operating costs in real time and they've lost like billions of dollars at this point it's like the worst bank financial crisis for a singular bank since 2008 that's what she said literally damn (laughs) it is stunning it is so stunning it's crazy that it all happens as like a snowball of fear, right? Of just yeah. like, oh no, I need to, I mean, that's what the stock market crashes as well, right? It's like, oh no, I need to take my money out now. Yeah. And then so too many people take their money out. Well, and also the whole banking system is based on confidence, right? Like you're taking your money in confidence to an institution that they're going to invest it in ways that will make sense for both them as the manager of those funds and for you as the customer. <sighs> We are in dire straits, folks, but what else is new? I mean, we say we are, but like, I'm not a founder, so I'm just watching it and sipping my tea and going, oh my God, what's going to happen? And I'm not retiring or trying to. But it, you know, especially especially in the times of COVID, it is really terrible to know that there's a bunch of companies affected literally overnight that like tomorrow won't be able to make payroll. Damn. Did that? Yeah. Wow. That reminds me, actually, I had a friend back when I lived in New York who worked for this um, architecture firm. And just like literally one day they were like, so uh, we can't pay you guys. Uh, We haven't been paid from the last couple projects. And yeah, and it just got progressively worse. And when you can't pay your employees, like you're in big trouble. Big, big trouble. And even when you can, like Elon Musk. Mm, mm, mm. (laughs) Yeah. I heard he's building a city also for his employees. Did you watch Severance? Oh my God! Yes, Can't I love. Can you see severance. Elon Musk building this city and making his own severance with his employees? Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. He would love that. I haven't watched that show, so you know, I'm just 
I'm on the outside. Well, I mean, did you finish? First of all, did you finish Devs? I finished Devs. Okay, so then you'll like Severance. It's like, it's a different, obviously, set of like qualia that it's about, you know, like it's about different things. But if you enjoy Devs, I think you'll enjoy Severance because it's very sort of like technology giving you an uncanny valley sort of like retro futuristic experience. But it's just set in like any quote unquote normal workplace i love that aesthetic but right no okay my mom did tell me the premise of it yesterday and i was like so at the end of the season like do you find out what the company that they're working for does and she shook her head too and i was just like i don't want to watch this show it's not even delivering on its promise no they set it up so that like hopefully you find out in season two it's also one of those things where like kind of i think in my opinion with especially with fiction one of the most compelling well televised fiction one of the most compelling ways of storytelling is like sort of always teasing the it's like the more they show you the more questions they unearth so then they get to just spend time on the questions they've brought up rather than just answering well what is it we're actually doing at this company that forces people to not remember their outside lives while they're inside it's really wild all right you know there's a lot of television demanding my attention what with bravo returning to its golden age (laughs) But I'll try to pull myself away from reality television and watch something scripted for a change. You're going to have to soon. That's true, because the three-body problem adaptation, sometime in 2023, they don't—they haven't said when. It could come tomorrow, for all we know. But you know that they're going to do some sort of insane marketing partnership I mean, with, like, the planetarium. It's Weiss and Benioff from Game of Thrones. Yeah. I mean, there's well, going to be teaser trailers and then, like, oh, yeah. mini trailers and then, like, official trailer. I mean, they're going to, the lead up to this thing is going to be, like, Edgefest 2023. Yeah, you're not going to be able to spit without hitting a billboard for the three-body problem. And Metro like, buses all over the city of Los Angeles incoming. I, mean, I remember when House of the Dragon was being promoted, and it was like literally, I mean, you went Couldn't to the get airport, away from you went to, you, literally, went to like the freaking Museum of Natural History. Like, mm-hmm. It was like everywhere on your freaking Metro card, you know, it was on. They've got they've got Emmys to win, and they know Shoe boxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they know We'll see. Well. Well. All this stuff aside, I feel like it's time for Big If True. (laughs) Okay, you already teased it a little bit where you have one of three that you're going to bring to us this week. I want you to sort of give us the elevator pitch for each three or maybe even just give us like the broad topic of what each of the three are about and then... Instamel, I want you to have the honor of picking Allie's Big If True this week. A lot of pressure. Okay. So, number one, I'm just going to give keywords. Mice with two dads. Number two, what the hell is gravity? (laughs) Number three, time is fundamental. So, A, B, or C. And let me tell you, my fingers are crossed that you choose one of them. (laughs) I'm going to have to go with mice has two dads. I'm glad you chose Because the other ones, oh boy. I mean, I don't even know if we would end this podcast tonight. (laughs) 
Well, you know what? We'll have to save the Big Bang Theory and what the hell is gravity for a future episode. Have you heard about the mice with two dads? This feels like the setup to a punchline. I know it does. But no, it's true. As of March 9th. Are we talking about like two dudes in Brooklyn who adopted a mouse? No, no, this is not. Stuart Little. Okay. This is big science and it comes from uh it comes to us from nature.com Ooh, okay and as i always like to say reputable source you be the judge but i think they have a pretty <laughs> pretty them. good url it's a lot better than what was it last week oh yeah archaeology dash known dot pie in the sky slash, slash tin foil or whatever yeah so i mean <laughs> yeah. we're already we already have a leg up on yours last week on last week which was certifiably insane no so this headline has nothing to do with astrophysics. It really is actually more of a biology news okay. headline. Basically, scientists have successfully created eggs from male cells. Whoa. So basically, they took some cells from some male mice and showed that once they fertilized and implanted it into a female mouse, the eggs could develop into seemingly healthy, fertile offspring. Whoa. Like, not by combining it with the egg of that female yeah. mouse, but, like, literally two male m- mouse cells. That's wild. Yeah. The approach it was announced at the third International Summit on Human Genome Editing. Okay. In London. That's kind of, that's a scary conference to go to, I feel like. I know, but also, like, I was like, that auditorium, if I saw the headline for this lecture, I mean, I would feel like it would be packed the house down, you know? You know, it smelled like pocket protectors. (laughs) Picture this, you're at the third international summit on human genome editing in London on March 8th, and you, (laughs) is that British or is that Australian? This announcement has been verbalized but not yet published so there is a little bit of all right let me see like a waiting peer review type thing exactly and it's a long way from being tested on humans but obviously this offers potential routes of treating causes of infertility yeah and also allowing for single parent embryos and obviously like you know men to have a biologically related child yeah as long as it's grown i mean you still have to basically grow the embryo inside the womb of a woman uh-huh so crazy uh, but there are also tests for like external wombs have you heard about these no i remember reading that but maybe i don't <laughs> maybe i never did anyways this is a huge advance And researchers have been working toward this feat for years. In 2018, one team reported using embryonic stem cells made from sperm or eggs to generate pups with either two fathers or two mothers. The pups with two mothers survived to adulthood and were fertile. So, Mm -hmm. you know... It has been done with female cells, but the ones with the two male cells only lived for a few days. So it's just actually, I know, sad. So it is just an advancement in what's already been being studied and experimented with for years. I mean, that's not like Kardashev level advancement, but that feels like a huge leap for a species such, I mean, for any, but for humans specifically, for a species to be able to make, to realize like, oh, wait, our science can do this now. Yeah, no, totally. Like when you start, when we start seeing certain, some of these things, you know, applied, obviously it's a very long way Mm -hmm. from common practice on people, but I feel like it's not as far as we think. 
I feel like, too, if we're hearing about it, I feel like the research is probably further than what we know about, right? Because, like, you publish what's palatable, maybe. That might be tinfoily of me. Right. What, to say that, like, it's worse or, like, there's they're not actually telling us everything? Yeah, like, I mean, how we talked about a few weeks ago, we talked about DARPA. How DARPA is the forefront leading nano cutting edge of technology research for the U.S. military and how right. there are certain certain aspects of their technology we know about but there is so it's like an iceberg we see this percentage of it and then there's this percentage of it underneath the surface that we're not even aware of so i feel like same too with science that like more probably happens than is publicized because it probably needs further trials further peer review things like that before the people feel comfortable coming forward and saying hey look at this thing we found out see i think the opposite i think that in science People, especially journalists, are quick to be like, hey, look at what this, you know, study is promising Mm -hmm. the potential of when, in fact, it's so far away from that actual result. I just think everything is a movie plot. Yeah. That there's you just think that there's always I mean there is always something not being said. No doubt. And you've good reason to think not that. meaning it's sinister. I just feel like if we know about it, there's probably far more advancement to whatever it is than like we actually do know about. Probably because it's not at a place that can be publicized yet and stand up to scrutiny. I was gonna say Like, where are we with cloning? Right. What happened? Dolly was, what, 20 years ago? Yeah. Like, we're not cloning lots of things. Well, to our knowledge, we're not cloning lots of things. We're not cloning necessarily. But the CIA is, and this isn't my big if true, but this is just like a crazy fact that I know. The CIA is funding a project to resurrect the woolly mammoth. Oh, I saw that. I've been seeing that, too. They really want us to know. I feel like cloning sort of served its purpose in helping us understand the genome and knowing how to further develop CRISPR technologies like it to help us manipulate genomes so that we can apply that towards other things. And then, you know, now within the year, I think the program to revive the woolly mammoth should be up and running. Damn. I mean, that's very Jurassic Park. Very. So that is... My big if true, it's quite small, you could say, in terms of... That is big if true, though. I mean, like, even just kind of like what you said about what it means for opening up new forms of potential fertility treatment for people that may not have had access to it before. I mean, the the implications are amazing. And even just recognizing it for what it is as a scientific achievement, like, go ahead, humans. Yeah, right? Like, you know what? And considering the fact that we spend a lot of time discussing the quantum realm and physics, and not so much on the, you know, the advancements in biology. Here in the macro, yeah. yeah. I just wonder if the government say it. <laughs> I don't know. I just imagine that depending on who's in power, this would be the first thing. One of the one of the things to be shut down. Like God forbid that we can make an we can make an embryo with either two women or two men. You know, that's just. Yeah, I mean, any any story along those lines, you know, it's going to make some religious groups angry. That was my first thought. You're so- so right oh and my historically God. who has been the biggest enemy of science the church mm-hmm. so crazy isn't that wild when really I, I think they're both describing the same thing with different words i wish they would see that you think 
Like God? Yeah, I think phenomena that religion ascribes a spiritual definition to quantum physics, quantum entanglement, chemistry, biology, they all are discussing and relating the same things. It's just science has its own set of language and religion has its own set of language. It's not like they're mutually... I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think they're talking about two sides of the same coin. You might be right. You know? I hope one day church and science can live together in peace and harmony. Well, speaking of stories that might make the church nervous, headline from My Big of True this week reads, Official government report claims there may be, quote, alien mothership inside the solar system. Okay, I'm going to have to hear the URL. (laughs) Surprisingly, they're very... Very solid. Legit? Okay, wait, let me guess. Okay, yeah. They're a very solid journalistic outlet, so I'm going to have to say... Do I, should I joke or should I be serious? Um, I'm going to have to say, well, who do you trust? NPR? My primary source today comes to us from Tucker Carlson of Fox News. <laughs> <laughs> the deposition of Donald Trump. <laughs> In actuality, information from my Big of Truth today comes from a new Pentagon report. Oh, shit. The government itself. The government itself, Mama. Reporting also by Diana Logan for MSN and also by Zamone Perez for Military Times. This past week, the Pentagon released a new draft report about the UAP phenomenon. And like, obviously, we've talked about it on the show to the point where I ha- I think I might have run out of words to describe it. You and I, I feel like, are obsessed to the balloon phenomena, the unidentified objects in the sky, stories that seem to keep happening and also side note listener if you are new to joining us and you were like yeah i heard about a balloon but why are they talking about it like it's such a big deal go back and listen because i wax fairly poetic about all of it we also not to be plain dexter right now but like i feel like you would do the same to me when you said uap phenomena it's like atm machine right it is like atm machine <laughs> Because it's unidentified aerial phenomena phenomena. Can you debug my code really quickly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One sec. I hate when my Bretatron is stupid. Okay, there we go. I'm a genius. He's better now. (laughs) But maybe scarier than any of these sightings in the sky is the implication coming from the research paper put forward by the Pentagon titled Physical Constraints on Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, which was co-authored by Sean Kirkpatrick, who is the director of the Pentagon's All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office. Think of them as the new Project Blue Book. And, blast from the past, one of our favorites, Harvard astronomer Avi Loeb, who you might remember became famous when he first implied that the interstellar visitor to our solar system, Oumuamua, could have been an extraterrestrial scout of some kind, coming just to sort of like survey and see what was happening in our little neck of the woods. I remember him well. In this paper, they say, quote, an artificial interstellar object could potentially be a parent craft that releases many small probes during its close passage to Earth, an operation construct not too dissimilar similar from NASA missions. 
happens. Wait a second. So wait, you're telling me that the Pentagon saw something? The Pentagon put forward in a new paper that is still a draft, so it hasn't been fully released in its final form yet. But in the draft, they make the implication that some of these objects that we see that we don't have country origins, fairly visible means of propulsion, things like that about, especially the two that were shot down that went missing after they were shot down, that they could be scouts sent out to Earth, to other planets of our solar system from a central parent ship or mothership as hollywood would like to say that is <laughs> somewhere nearby in our generally local neighborhood interesting kirkpatrick who is one of the co-authors of this paper he's the director of the pentagon's all domain anomaly resolutions office was appointed to this position when it was founded in july of 2022 and previously served as the chief scientist at the defense intelligence agency's missile and space intelligence center so the man has a history of looking at the sky looking at our atmosphere and being aware of the objects that are moving around through it. Resolving anomalies. <laughs> From a press release, the AARO was established to investigate unidentified, quote, objects of interest specifically around military bases. Okay. Because there are stories also through the Cold War of UAP showing up over nuclear missile silos and by who knows what method disabling all of the nuclear warheads. That happened here in America. That's crazy. Allegedly. That's giving Trisolaris. Very that. In February of this year, a bipartisan group of senators, including Marco Rubio, the Republican from Florida, Kirsten Gillibrand, the Democrat from New York, and 12 others, sent a letter to Deputy Secretary of Defense Kathleen Hicks and Deputy Director of National Intelligence Stacey Dixon calling for full funding for this department, the AARO, because they're like, this is a big deal. Also, senators who sit on the Intelligence Committee are getting briefings that are of classified nature about any of the UAP that are happening that the news might just pick up the smallest little bit of that's fit for public consumption. So the people that are getting these briefings are saying, uh, hey, we need to make sure these guys are getting as much money as they need to do the work that they're doing because based on the information that we're seeing, they need to be funded. Their work is very important. I like that. That sounds like non-lobbyist. And it's bipartisan. <laughs> it's like one of the few times yeah. we actually see different sides of the legislative branch actively trying to work together. We say it all the time. This country will be united by extraterrestrials. It's true. We, <laughs> humankind needs a force greater than itself to help it change its course. Also, I thought it was interesting to note in, in just doing some research about this story and learning about sort of like where the money goes in the federal budget, knowing how much money the AARO receives. The Biden administration's previous funding request for fiscal year 2023 failed to fund anything beyond AARO's basic operating expenses. What? So our solar system could be harboring an extraterrestrial mothership, and it seems like the Biden administration could not care less. What the hell? And that, while maybe the beginning of a new Hollywood blockbuster, is my big if true. I'm personally offended by the Biden administration's refusal you know? to, I mean, it just, what? Wow. Crazy. You believe it? Big. Uh, I want answers. By the way, Mommy, what did you think of the Operation Gusheng last week? Oh, where they got sliced and diced? Yes! <laughs> was that not insane? That was crazy, yeah. Were you blown away? I was, it was crazy. It was the most, it seemed like the most sci-fi part of the book. Definitely the most action. 
Mm-hmm. I'm still reeling from last week. But yeah, we are not staying in Cuba and we are not even staying on Earth. Sorry, it's not Cuba. Panama. <laughs> Pan- yeah, it's okay. I, I know what you meant. But they don't. <laughs> there was Cuba somewhere in last week's chapter. Am I wrong? The cigars were Cuban. That's right. Well. Anyway. This week... Chapter 32, for the first time, really, in this entire book to this point. I mean, I know we're, like, at the end, but, like, I'm kind of glad it's bringing it to us now. This chapter takes place as a little bit of a flashback, and you'll understand why very, very shortly. But from the perspective of a Trisolaran, this chapter, number 31, is called Trisolaris, The Listener. Start, two, one, mission. You are listening to Radar Peak, a three-body podcast reviewing our way through the three-body problem and discussing its real-life parallels. I'm Allie. I'm Brett, and this week we're hearing the other side of the story. How the message from Red Coast Base sent shockwaves through Trisolaran society and how a Trisolaran listener betrayed their people, all while trying to save humanity. Stay tuned. Energy unit reporting. All systems go. Cutting unit reporting. All systems go. Amplifier unit reporting. All systems go. Interference monitor unit reporting. With an acceptable range. Begin transmission. Okay, Allie. Last week, if you remember, the ETO has been pummeled, literally sliced 10 ways to Sunday in the Panama Canal. Deli meat city on the river. Yeah, I mean, like, Evans literally gets sliced into multiple pieces in Operation Gujang. And Ye Wenji, back in the interrogation room, my favorite of all settings in this novel, learns that all the messages that Evans has been squirreling away from Trisolaris have been recovered. And not only recovered, printed out and given to her to read over to see if there's maybe anything she can elucidate further on or give them more information that maybe they just don't know that they don't know. The interrogator slides a stack of papers over to Ye Wenji to read through the data that they analyzed from these messages. And something I thought was interesting is in all the communications back and forth between the Adventists of the ETO and the beings on Trisolaris, not once is their appearance mentioned. So that made me think, Ali, in this entire book series, how do you envision the Trisolarans? Really good question. Do you see, like, contact? Do you see, like, the beings in the movie Artificial Intelligence? Like, what do they look like to you? They've been really abstract, partially because they're, like, not described. I've mostly hung on to, like, that description of their light, the light that, like, beams... Like that being reflective. Yeah, their skin being extremely reflective. So I just imagine mm-hmm. their skin almost like really small, like chain mail, mm-hmm. you know? Like scales almost. Yes. Or like, yeah. Like, have you ever, like, you know, a fishbone necklace? Yeah. The links are really close together, but like metallic. Yep. And then in terms of their faces, I guess like I've just, yeah, not, I haven't been really picturing it, but, but now that I think about it, I think I'm. I would imagine like quasi human, like two mm-hmm. eyes, maybe nose holes, maybe no mouth because they communicate through light. Yeah, right. Um, and like ear holes and no hair. But I would love for them to have hair. I was actually at a coffee shop the other day and I was just like, you know, kind of like tripping out on like 
what it is to be alive. And mm-hmm. I was just looking at someone's hair and I was just like, if I were a being from another planet, I would think I would be so transfixed by the diversity of like mop on all of these creatures' skulls. Just How they- many mushrooms had you had by that point? <laughs> It's just, it's weird. It's weird that we're like, um, that like, it's so, we take it for granted. Like, like hair is such a big part of our beauty standards in, mm-hmm. in, at least in America. But like, if you really step outside of culture, it's like just this outgrowth. It's just protein that our skin pushes out. Literally. And it's like in just these various forms. And I think I would be absolutely, yeah, confounded and shocked, awed, amazed, and horrified. Yes. And I guess at the end, like, still, like, I mean, as obsessed with it as we are now, just in a different way. Yeah. Well, Ye Wenji, like most people, probably, she imagines these Trisolarans as humanoid. And then that just made me think, like, what's that word we keep harping on? Anthrocentric? Mm-hmm. Like, we can't help but, like, place ourselves at the center and think that we're, like, the ultimate version of whatever it is. Yeah. Right? right? Even though, like, they're clearly superior to humanity at this point. Ye learns by reading this stack of documents that the messages being received on Trisolaris were coming into a place called Listening Post 1379. It wasn't a unique post all on its own it had existed for a millennium and there were a thousand others exactly like it all over the trisolarian planet all doing the same work do you know what it was listening the search for extraterrestrial intelligence so yeah listening oh like just like on earth exactly like ours the way that it started out at these listening posts imagine like an old school telephone operator just like wall-to-wall apparatus display screens cables being switched people as far as you can see all doing the same job all of them sitting at desks with their terminals in front of them and on trisolaris when they began this work of seti hundreds of trisolarans staffed each of the outposts so i mean we're talking hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people from the trisolaran civilization just dedicated to seti this is very severance a show i've never seen (laughs) it's very severance but also by comparison humanity is not looking for extraterrestrial intelligence on any magnitude as great as the trisolaran I mean, the AARO can barely buy lunch. So keep in mind, the Trisolarans are still about 450 years away from arriving at Earth. They are a civilization of species that's able to travel the cosmos. So in the time since these listening posts were founded to currently, they have made quantum leaps in their technology. Mm -hmm. So from the time these listening posts were founded to now, these hundreds of Trisolarans per listening post have now been reduced down to only one listener per listening post because the systems have become automated their technology has been upgraded and yeah. they don't need to dedicate as much of a physical workforce Got it. And to their efforts of SETI as they have in these, the past. These Trisolarans are like these robots are stealing our jobs! <laughs> Pretty much. Sounds familiar. We learn that the existence of a listener was a lonely one. All the listeners at these outposts lived at them. Day in, day out, they scanned the cosmos for signs of intelligent life. And you might be thinking, well, what about the chaotic eras? What about the times when the sun or the two suns or the three suns come so close that literally everything on the surface of the planet is instantly incinerated or turned into molten liquid or otherwise destroyed? 
Well, the Trisolarans figured out a way to have the outpost be equipped with a sort of life support so that no matter the era, stable or chaotic, whoever the listener is at any given outpost will be safe with inside their pod and continue doing the work. So like, no joke, this Trisolaran is in here day in, day out, relatively 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, even though we know that's not how their time and their years are structured. They never get to leave, but they also never have have a reason to dehydrate so like in some ways their life is a little better than other trisolarans and then in a lot of ways their life is like the actual worst existence you could have as a member of trisolaran society it, it really makes you wonder like why couldn't they just build similar structures for the rest of the population i mean it's like better to spend that time effort energy and those resources into building a fleet which now we know they have done so okay i hate poking holes in the book but you know i can't help it it's necessary one night in the middle of a chaotic era this is where our chapter begins this week the listener who is at post 1379 is looking out over the trisolarian planet the moon hasn't risen yet and the entire landscape is just desolate. All the Trisolarans, except for those inside the listening posts, had dehydrated and were just awaiting the next stable era so that they could bring themselves back to life. They even describe even the landscape, the plants and things like that as looking like paper cuts, like construction paper, flat plants, just like laying against the ground because they're, they've all given up the ghost. Like, well, it's not safe for us to exist, so we're just gonna hang out here and hope we can come back at some point, maybe soon. Fingers and roots crossed. Wow. Oh, wait, the plants dehydrated. Everything, the entire planet, aside from the people inside these listening posts, have just, like, become a parchment. Wow. On this night, the display monitor that this listener is used to looking at day in and day out showed the same old, same old, just a sine wave that's oscillating with random background noise that has been produced by the cosmos. Effectively, desolation in data form, mm -hmm. like a digitized version of everything that they see out in front of them. Kind of like what was being seen at Red Coast Base for so long. So long. And right as the listener started to really feel the weight of this cosmic, like, nothingness surrounding them, something happened that had never happened in a listening post ever before. The waveform on the display screen moved in a way that this listener knew for a fact was different. It's a smiley face <laughs> on yeah. the screen. Keep in mind, they look at the screen every day. So, like, they almost have the sound of the background noise of the cosmos memorized. This time, the wave they're seeing, the data that's coming in, in the opinion of the listener in this moment, this data had to have been caused by intelligence. They're like, I've never heard this before. It has never looked like this. This has to be the work of something with the intention of making this do this in front of me right now. So very much like what we saw happen at the observatory with Wang Miao, this listener runs to another terminal to check how recognizable the incoming signal was. The display screen at this other computer showed a really bright rating of red 10. And the narrator tells us at this point, before this moment, on Trisolaris, of any data that had been coming in from any signal anywhere, they had never seen above a rating of blue two. So I guess without context, red 10 really means like, this is a big fucking deal, what you're seeing, basically. But then 
we learn that signals that are given a red rating mean that the likelihood that it came from intelligence was above 90%. So that this signal displayed a rating of red 10 meant that this information was not only caused by something intelligent, but it was also a self-interpreting code system. Right, like the AAAAAA rating at Red Coast Base. Exactly. And so at this point, truly beyond belief, the listener continues to just stare at this display screen. And because the code was self-interpreting, that meant basically no lag time for the decryption on the information that was contained inside it. So nearly as soon as this signal starts being received, the message starts showing up on another display screen, the message from Red Coast Base. And it says, hi. We look forward to working together to build a better life in this vast universe. It's the original message that Ye Wenji sent from Red Coast Base. This is the approved message? Yes. Yes, right. The one when she aimed it at the sun, that first one, where she was like, let me just see if this works. And it's like, I got 10 seconds to do this during a test. And we've got to be sure about what we say because we don't want to come across as too reactionary or too confrontational. We just want to make our presence known, basically. Yeah, it's that message. Got it. I wonder, sorry, and he and the listener is seeing it on the screen, but also hearing it. They're hearing the incoming radio transmission, but the radio transmission, I mean, think about it. We've, I think on, well, I think on our social media, we've posted what for example, what certain stars sound like when their observational data has been sonified. So it's not like listening to an FM radio station and hearing a voice coming through the transmission. It's a radio signal that's being decrypted by the computer that's receiving it because it's decrypting and displaying the actual text message that's encoded inside this radio transmission. Got it. But they are hearing the noise because they're so familiar with the random sort of hum desolate background noise of the cosmos that when this message comes in they know that it's different so they are hearing something but it's not like they're hearing someone speaking got it over the next few hours this trisolarian listener learns about earth about the solar system the fact that earth is situated in a way that it is always in a stable configuration around its host star and their mind is blown they are like this is the place of trisolarian's dreams how could this be possible for our entire existence we have lived in a place that is more chaotic than it is stable this has never happened for us before this has to be the thing we've all been waiting for our entire existence which then kind of cues an existential crisis for the listener because when you think about it if you received a message from god knows where in another sector of the cosmos you'd probably be like oh my fuck because i mean you know like we theorize math says humans aren't the only intelligent life in the universe but there's no confirmation of any other ones so it's like you know the moment it is confirmed it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment period yeah I feel like. and like what are the chances that we would find like it's not like we we would be hearing from i mean no we could definitely hear from like a civilization that is more uh what's the word like in a more mm-hmm. fortunate configuration like because we are in like such a stable configuration i mean earth exists in what's called the goldilocks zone yeah Not too hot, not too cold, literally just right. I actually saw one of my almost big if trues, but I was like, 
man, this is, it was, it was uh, not one of the ones I talked about or suggested or offered, but uh, some guy was like, they're called, there's like a certain type of like theorist and they're like planetary. They basically theorize like like planetary interaction and orbital mechanics just for funsies. And they're talking about like the gaps between our planet in this, in our solar system and how Mm -hmm. he was just talking about if there were a planet in the gap between, I don't know if it was like Jupiter and and Mars or something that basically Earth would cease to exist like oh wow because we would get crushed by the the gravity of that planet would like pull us or actually would send us would send us like Venus and like a third planet like just completely out into the abyss of space wow that's interesting you mentioned that because this past week I learned about a pretty notable theory that says actually at the formation of our solar system there were upwards of 24 planets and the ones we have are just the ones that actually were able to make it into stable orbits around our sun that's a cute little like maybe animated series about like making the cut (laughs) like making this cut of the solar system but it's like a different solar system and it's like you just want to end up stable stable the whole thing's an allegory for adulthood. You're so right. Oh, we should write that, Brett. Okay. No, just I'm going to... Okay, I wrote that down. Thank you. Really, don't forget. Um, But yeah, we're in the Goldilocks zone. So at this point, this Trisolaran, who, keep in mind, is now having an existential crisis because other intelligent life has officially been confirmed. See, they are well into middle, upper middle age. They work at one of the more outdated listening posts. They would often be at work what seems really like a dead end kind of job for them. And they're kind of thinking to themselves, you know, like, even if a message comes in like this one that confirms that there is other intelligence in the universe, like, yeah, it's fun to get excited about it, but what difference is it going to make to my life, really? As soon as Trisolaris receives this message surely they're going to divest in listening posts because you know hashtag mission accomplished again not to quote george w bush but (laughs) once they have accomplished the goal relatively speaking they're not going to have to be spending as much time resources labor manpower relatively whatever it means towards that goal because they're going to have a general direction from where an intelligent source came from so this semi-middle-aged trisolarian in this dead-end job is thinking oh my god my life is over because this message has come in now this listening post is for sure going to be shut down because some of the oldest tech that we use is here at my job i'm done for basically yeah he's about to get laid off Well, yeah, and I just kind of think I'm like, yeah, that sucks. But then I'm like, why is this Trisolarian so, like, broken up about the fact that they're about to potentially lose their job? I mean, A, they're disaster prepping. Yeah. But B, like, maybe they really are about to lose their job. But I'm just thinking, like, why are they so freaked out about this as an eventuality? And side note, we learn that the Trisolarians forcibly dehydrate and then burn the bodies of the unemployed. Ooh. (laughs) So this Trisolaran is well within their rights (laughs) to worry about losing their job. This listener is just fully spiraling and they're like, my only option if I lose my job is to mate with another Trisolaran so that I can at least reproduce. That's going to be the only option that I have left to me. Only problem is I'm a nobody. I'm on the lowest rung of the Trisolaran social ladder. There is nobody who would want to mate with me so like i'm fucked basically and so then they're like wait is this all there is to my life will i be lonely until i die (laughs) 
damn yeah like they really they not only had an existential crisis about like oh wow there's something actually out there besides us but my job is useless and now that I've done this my job will end and what left is there for me and I'm done for basically so trying to dissociate from all of this chaos that they're creating for themselves just a little bit he pops his annex a trisolarian Xanax. <laughs> kind of. The trisolarian listener enables their sleep mode, which literally is as robotic as it sounds. Mm. Trisolarians over time have evolved to be able to turn on and off a sleep cycle. Just like having a thought like stand or sit. They can literally go into sleep and wake modes, almost like, a, like an autonomous computer. Don't you wish you had that? I do. She can't sleep. I do too. <laughs> and while the listener is under and sleeping they fall into a dream state about earth but what they see haunts them instead of seeing themselves approaching this planet that for them is a paradise and the answer to all of their problems they have a nightmare where they witness a massive trisolaran fleet arriving at the planet bombarding the landscape of this pristinely blue marble its continents burning and its oceans boiling Mm. The listener snaps awake in a cold sweat. And they start to think like, okay, um, how can I figure out where this message came from? Because I guess the dream to them was so real that they're like, if the government finds out about this message coming in, that probably, like, I know my people. We burn people if they lose their jobs. Like, we're going to show up at this planet and we're absolutely going to ransack it because we need it worse than they do, basically. So the Trisolarian is like, how do I figure out where this message came from? Because I have a plan. Remember what we were talking about a few episodes ago about frequency shifts and like how they change over distances and they go through space? Yes. So. So this message that comes in, the listener is like, hmm, this message could have either been a high-powered message and really far away, or it could be a low-powered frequency message and have come from somewhere in our backyard, relatively. How do I nail down where this came from? Because regardless, the message that came in was a low frequency one. Uh So they're like, I actually have no information to go on of how to find where this came from. The location of the coordinates in the cosmos of where this originated. There's no return address. And then it hits them. The key is distance. So if it were you, Allie, how would you go about solving this problem of finding the coordinates of where an intelligent message came to you from the universe? Okay. When you didn't know where it came from. So I'm guessing I would send another message and see how long it takes for them to respond. And that would somehow tell me, you know, because that way I would know from the time of, you know, uh, transmitting that message how far it had to travel before being received. That's my guess. Congratulations. You have passed your SAT. Wait, really? The most correct answer is usually the simplest one. So the Trisolarian has the thought, oh my God, wait, I'll just reply to the message. So they do. They think by replying to this message, basically how they'll go about it is they will time the interval between the receipt of their next message. So they'll send a message and whenever they get another reply, they'll have a timer running. They're going to base the whole thing on the round trip speed of light. And then once you know how long it took for your reply to come back to you after you send a reply to the original message, factored in with how quickly light moves 
moves through a vacuum, mm-hmm. which is a cosmological constant, then you can reverse engineer a distance and then use the distance to extrapolate an area that says this message came from here. Ballpark. Right, right. It's like you might not know exactly, but you'll know the distance and then you can look at, all right, well, what is in that range? Except the only other outstanding problem the Trisolarin identifies is, well, fuck, what if they leave me on red? Right, and they don't reply. I mean, though, for what it's worth, they did send a message looking for other intelligence in the first place from Red Coast Base. So the chances that they would reply to a message that the Trisolarans sent in response is pretty high, granted. By now, though, surely the Trisolaran government was aware that this message had been received because it came into this listening post, but there are thousands of others just like it. This Trisolaran finds themselves wondering, oh no, has the government given the order to respond to this yet? It was impossible to know. So this, the listener thought, is my chance to make my life matter. (laughs) It's my chance to shine. And so they're like, I have to do this before anybody tells me I'm not supposed to. I guess it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is for permission. So in that moment, the listener at listening post 1379 ran to another computer terminal did a bit of coding to make sure that the outgoing message would be encoded into the same language as the one received from Red Coast Base, then moved the giant transmission antenna so that it would be facing in the same general direction as where the incoming message had come from. Full of purpose, finally, and ready to shine, the listener typed and encoded the message that they felt could save another intelligent civilization and pressed send. Do not answer. Do not answer. Do not answer. know who got that message. Melly, any anything to say? No. <laughs> <laughs> any any notes, any well, song? Why would he say do not answer, do not answer, do not answer? But he wants to maintain communication though. Am I missing something? He wants to find out where it came from, but I think because he's he or she they I've been saying, this Trisolarian has been believing so much because of this dream this nightmare that they had was so vivid about a trisolarian fleet arriving at the planet earth that they've just learned about and seeing the desolation that is wrought on planet earth from the trisolarians trying to gain control of this eternally stable planet they're already identifying that basically because this message has come in my life is basically has a countdown clock running on it nobody's going to want to mate with me i'm going to lose my job my life really does doesn't matter, but I know what my people will do when they arrive if they set out for this planet. So he really is trying to so he's trying to save Earth at this point. He's like one of the few Trisolarans that like realizes they have nothing left to lose and like really doesn't want Trisolaran civilization to make its way to planet Earth. He's a misanthrope, but he's like a mistrisolaranthrope. Yeah. Got it. Much like Yewenji. Who's like Much like Yewenji, but just two sides of the same coin exactly like on another planet there's someone just like you with the same motivations but like reversed 
But po- yeah, polar opposites yeah. in this case. Good question, though. A lot of motivations here. Because isn't that crazy? Seeing like a sort of like species betrayal, but so different from the ones that we've seen so far from Ye Wenji, from the Adventists, from any of the ETO, really. Yeah. Really mm-hmm. trying to save mm-hmm. human humanity's ass. Just trying to like have one moment of existence that they feel like matters. It's funny because it's like, unlike Commissar Lei, uh-huh. who, you know, is like, I'm going to be the first one to, I'm going to be known for being the first one to make contact with an extraterrestrial species on Trisolaris. It's like, oh, I will never be known for being listener 1379. You know what I mean? I'm literally one of thousands doing the exact same job. So I may as well. I think you have to sing, I'm not going to give away my one shot. What's this Hamilton song? (laughs) Yeah, how does that go? Well, I'll sing my own rendition. Yes, of course. I'll just tell you, I am one of the few fortunate that I could not sing for you a single bar of (laughs) Hamilton. Have you seen it? Never saw it. Never watched the movie. I just mainly never had any interest. I'm not like a hater of it. I just was like aware of it and went, hmm, okay. (laughs) I saw it on uh, my brother has won the lottery to see Hamilton front row like two dozen times. I love that. (laughs) But I only saw it on Disney Plus and I was underwhelmed. But I do remember like, I'm not going to miss my shot or whatever. (laughs) I'm not really a fan of like the seeing speaking genre. Yeah, yeah. Right. Sondheim and like Schwartz are like more my brand of musical. You know who would play listener 1379? Oh my God, who? Ben Platt. (laughs) Do you think I was musical. seeing like I was seeing like a Tilda Swinton kind of I mean that would be way more interesting but just like the vibe of like kind of like this incel who literally is incel and you know just listening and and sad and scared and like what is the meaning of my life I could just see Ben Platt singing like what is the meaning of my life one note <laughs> And so I say, do not answer, do not answer, do not answer. It's also phantom. Yeah, also that was giving me very like, the time is now 12 (laughs) o'clock. It was very, like, bell tone of you. It's very doorbell. <laughs> ding dong, ding dong. And dong, folks, she dong, still can't dong, string dong. together an original melody. <laughs> bong. 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 Very big Ben of you. So it wasn't evocative. <laughs> no, it, it was. It, it, it you gave, got chills. Like, well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Well, intermission is over. Please take your seats. The show will begin shortly. A new character is on stage. We don't know what he looks like, according to the book. But if you were seeing it in a theater production, he would have to look like something. So, Mm -hmm. Brett, I ask you, what do you think the chief official of Tri-Solaris looks like or is dressed like? Mm. 
What's crazy is I've I've never imagined them as having to like wear exterior clothing kind of in a way that you imagine how like you you really gravitated to the fact that they can communicate with light. Their bodies can sort of like change colors. I kind of imagined that maybe also their bodies were morphable in a way to suit sort of like whatever needs they had in that moment. So not necessarily wearing clothes necessarily. Like if they were cold, they could like change their form to bulk or if they were hot they could change their form to like really lean out that kind mm. of thing i think i've always seen the trisolarans as small i've never seen them as like if to compare them to a human i've never i don't know I th- it's it's strange i don't exactly know how to explain it i think they are very small i love that that really shifts my perspective because this whole time i'm thinking of them as about life size or i mean human size but it's almost like more fathomable if they're small. Mm-hmm. The dehydration of it all. The There's a fun theory that we can get into later yeah. about why I think that. Oh, okay. But not yet. Not yet. Now's not the time. Okay. Well, while we don't know what they look like, there is someone who looks like something <laughs> who comes and talks to listener 1379. And okay. this person is known as the princeps. Okay. Not princess. Princeps. Which I love. With a P. With a P, which actually means like official. Mm-hmm. Um, and they call him the Princeps. And this Princeps, we know, lives in thick walls separated from the outside in order to protect them or him. I'm just going to say him because I'm used to a patriarchal authority figure. <laughs> uh, to protect him from extreme weather in crises eras, just like our listeners. Mm-hmm. The book says, you know, maybe, or, you know, these transcripts that Ye Wenji is reading, right? Says, we don't actually know what kind of structures they're in. Maybe it was pyramid-like as the three-body game rendered, but it's also possible that they built residences deep underground, which also makes a Mm. lot of sense. If, like, the surface of the planet is being freaking hammered by cold and hot, that makes a lot of sense. Dig, 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 yeah. Now, five trisolarin hours ago, the precepts got the report of an extra trisolarin communication. And three trisolarin hours later, the princeps gets another report. And that is that listening post 1379 sent out a warning message in direction oh, no. of the received communication. Uh, no. So we're getting another sort of like Ye Wenji, Commissarlay uh-huh. debacle. Or face face off confrontation, whatever you want to consider it. Musical number, definitely a reprise. Same song, different planet. When the princeps gets this news, he's actually unbothered. You know, unlike Commissar Lay, who was like furious, like why did you hide this from me? The princeps is not angry. He's not excited, and this is because on Trisolaris, all emotions are discouraged. Oh, fear sorrow, joy, the appreciation of beauty, any emotion you can name are things to avoid and eliminate. Okay. And that is because they believe on Trisolaris that emotions caused both the citizens of Trisolaris and the society to be spiritually weak and, and unfit for survival. Whoa. That's very Vulcan of them. It is. Like from Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. And the men- I just think of Spock. It's very that. And the mentality of Trisolaris needs to and has been and maintains 
calmness, numbness, stoicism. Wow, okay. And they believe that basically the 200 cycles of civilization prove that it is the stoic who are most capable of survival. Those who mm. don't get excited and don't get angry. Um, and like, I could see like why that is, right? Like you're very pr- driven by principle, by logic, and not you by... You become overall less reactionary. Yeah. Something we've heard a lot about through the Cultural Revolution. That's true. And there's a lot of parallels in this chapter I think that I wonder I'm like is Cixin Lu making some sort of socio-political commentary about China mm. but we'll get to that for this reason the princeps and actually everyone on Trisolaris is quite monotone okay <laughs> so I'm gonna do my best to speak in the voice that <laughs> I imagine them to speak in okay that sounds good exactly I mean and I'm, I think the listener because the listener you know just sent off this message like he's a little more hopped up and excited but the princeps, right. you know, he's received this message and like my musical numbers is only one note. <laughs> Hit it. Hit it. Princeps comes to the listener at post 1379 and asks, why did you send this? The listener answers calmly, so my life is not wasted. Do you not want Trisolaris to survive? It's not that, says the listener. It's that the civilization on Earth deserves a chance to survive too. We could not possibly share the Earth with the people of that world. We could only eliminate the Earth civilization and take over that solar system. True, says Princeps. But their civilization is also warlike. They are dangerous. If we attempted to coexist on the same planet, they would learn our technology and war would go on. Neither of our civilizations would thrive how can you wish to save the earth and not your own race has a point has a point basically once again like you know he the listener is the trisolarian equivalent of yay wenji right like how could mm-hmm. you betray your own species the listener is like i'm tired of trisolaris papa no he's like i'm tired of i think of in holes when she's like i'm tired of digging i'm tired of trisolaris we have nothing to live for except continued survival and the princeps is like What's wrong with that? You know, like, what's wrong with living for the sake of living? Honestly, right, yeah. Like, nothing, of course. Existence is the precondition for, you know, all else. But, princeps, look at our lives. Everything is devoted to survival, to ensure the survival of our civilization. There is no respect for the individual. Again, I'm thinking China. I'm like, is this a metaphor? It's very parallel. It is. And, like, communism in general. He says, we put to death those who cannot work. We live under an authoritarian regime where the law only has two outcomes. If you're not guilty, you are free to go. And if you are guilty, no matter of the crime you've committed, you are put to death, you know? Wow, yeah. Yeah, and like, I, you just think like, we have a much more nuanced legal justice system here on earth he says there's no other forms of punishment but for me the most intolerable aspect of life on trisolaris is the perpetual monotony and literal desiccation we have no art no literature no beauty or pleasure we can't even speak of love you know it seems like the relationships on trisolaris are purely about the continuation it's like just to procreate yeah. and that's it exactly wow. he's like is there even meaning to such life Big questions. I'm sure ones that like the princeps is like never probably ever bothered to think about. 
before. Well, in fact, the princeps says, This civilization you yearn for, this golden age, it did once exist on Trisolaris. Oh. They had democracy. They had societies with rich cultures. But right, so what happened? Most of the histories have been sealed away and forbidden from view. For in all cycles of civilization on Trisolaris, these were the weakest and shortest lived. Oh, wow. Again, political commentary, perhaps. Yeah. Look at the Earth civilization you wish to save. A society raised in a beautiful paradise would not have made it even a million trisolarian hours transplanted into these conditions. Wow. Yeah. So basically it's like Earth, like we are, and this is kind of what they say about, um, oh, just like Americans. I mean, I'm thinking of like in the whole pandemic, right? When we talk about like infrastructure, yeah. it's like we could not stop the spread of the virus because we value the individual way too much to control people's freedoms. And if you were to right. transplant like an in America into China, like it just, the two would not compute yeah true so yeah turns out that the civilizations that you know on trisolaris that did value art and beauty and pleasure they were the shortest lived they were Damn. not prepared which also makes a lot of sense as a metaphor for like america yeah like we are eating ourselves and also the earth right like when we're just completely hedonistic we're not actually thinking about longevity any specific want and any specific moment and that's as far usually as most people can see i feel like totally well says the listener the flower may be delicate but she enjoys beauty and freedom in the joy of paradise mm. And I guess the listener really thinks that, like, while the flower may be delicate, may the flower may, yes, may die quickly, at least she enjoys her existence. Yeah, wow. The princeps says, If we come to possess the earth, then Trisolaris can create that for ourselves again, too. So, the listener says, I'm doubtful of that. The Trisolaran heart and spirit has been so hardened, so fully contaminated, that our cells have crystallized with cynicism, essentially, right? Mm. And a joylessness and a just pure survivalist attitude. Yeah. He says, I'm nobody. I'm, I'm a plebeian. I'm at the bottom of society. No one cares about me. My life is spent in utter solitude, without wealth, without status, without love, without hope. If I can rescue a distant world that is beautiful, then my life has not been a waste. And I wrote, I, I just thought, you know, it's interesting to think about that where advanced consciousness evolves, even on another planet, so too does this need to make something of your life. This yearning yeah. to like not have been a waste. It's interesting that we really care about that, you know, like yeah. it's hard to go or I mean, it's relatable at least to this particular listener. I wonder if every time intelligence evolves into a consciousness, if ego is inextricable. Well, that's what I was thinking. Is this ego? Is yeah. this like uh, the ego being like, I need to have my life not be just completely Like I need to matter irrelevant. and I need to know and feel that I matter. Before yeah. I die. Yeah. I mean, he kind of represents this both you could see it as like human consciousness mm -hmm. right like this human ego and he also represents the american i think western mentality of like yeah both the, yeah 
which is very interesting. Very interesting. Well, he also says, you know, besides if I had not done this, a man like me could never have dreamt of seeing someone like you except for on TV. Mm-hmm. So I'm honored in and of itself to have had this opportunity to be confronted by someone of your status. And it's, first of all, I was like, so I guess they have TV. Why wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, they have ships that can travel. One one hundredth of the speed of light. <laughs> into different star systems. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. Wow. A TV, just another intergalactic phenomena. It mm-hmm. makes sense. TV is a huge part of our society. Well, it reminds me of that thing you mentioned a couple weeks ago. Like if they go to the movies, their invasion movies, are they humans invading? Right, right. Not no. Well, the princeps says, you are guilty beyond doubt. In fact, you are the greatest criminal in the history of Trisolaris. Now we will make an exception in the law. You are free to live. What? What? He's like, the listener says, I am? Yes. Why? The princeps says, For you, dehydration by burning is not adequate punishment. You're old, so you will not live to see the final destruction. I'm shocked at the destruction. (laughs) The final destruction of Earth's civilization. But I'll make sure you live to see for yourself that the Earth civilization cannot be saved. I will let you live until the day she loses all hope. Princeps dismisses listener 1379 and calls in the consul in charge of the monitoring system. Okay. Once again, the princeps was not angry and in a calm voice says, How could you allow a weak and evil man into our monitoring system? It's giving, you know what I'm going to say? Marvin the Martian. No, it's giving. Why did Chris Ross <laughs> write the freak? Yeah, wow, I forgot about that. In response, the consul in charge of the monitoring system is like, we employ 100,000 trisolarans to screen them is extremely hard, and that man committed no error for the majority of his life. Of course, this is a grave mistake, and I take full responsibility. And the princeps is like, And how many others are also responsible for this failure of the Trisolaran Space Monitoring System? About 6,000. And they are all guilty. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so all of them are guilty. Yes. What does that mean so for them? All six, like the, basically there are 6,000 other individuals somehow responsible in some indirect way for the failures to stop listener 1379 from sending that message. Yeah. So for them, that means. Guilty. And that means. Burn them. Burn them. <laughs> Yes, he says, okay, dehydrate all 6,000 and burn them together in the square at the center of the capital. As for you, you can be the kindling. (laughs) Yikes, though. And you know what uh, the consul says? No. Thank you. (laughs) He licks the boot. (laughs) What? What is with these, like, hyper-sub, like, ready-to-burn little alien incels that are just like, that's crazy. I mean, when when your whole civilization has conditioned you to prioritize the group. 
then yeah. what does your life matter? Happy to do it. Happy to do it. Yes, sir. Bob, I'll be there. Yeah. I'll be first on the pile of the pyre. He says, thank you, princeps. This will at least bring us some peace in the meantime. Yikes. And then he kneels down and kisses the metallic flesh of the princeps toenail. No, I don't know. That's not in the book. <laughs> I was like, of his what? And then, wait, Princeps says, Wait before you carry out the punishment. How far is that warning message able to travel? Well, Post 1379 is a small facility with high transmission power. Highest range is 1,200 light years. Yikes. And Princeps says, And do you have a suggestion for what Trisolaris should do next? And uh, the consul says, Perhaps transmitting a follow-up message that would entice them to respond. It's an interesting idea. But ultimately, the princeps says, No, no, that would make things worse. (laughs) He says, At least the warning was short. We can only hope they ignore it or misunderstand its contents. Hmm. You are dismissed. Which I think is very curious. Like the idea yeah. that like he thinks, you know what, actually maybe they will ignore the message or maybe they will misunderstand its content, which is do not answer. I don't know. I just felt like there was something beneath the surface of that statement. Mm-hmm. Like what is the content? Like there's some content that even Ye G misunderstood. Probably. Right? He doesn't want to like interfere or like send a follow-up message. Which- He's a gambler. Man. I kind of get it. It's like when you like when you say when you misspeak. Like sometimes it's worse to apologize because yeah. you lose credibility. It's better to just hope that actually they didn't notice or like you know. Mm-hmm. But not like with us. We always call each other out our mistakes. We stay calling each other out. That's but yeah, true. I know what you mean. You know, I'm just remembering this one time I did this. I I did this project that someone paid me to do, and it was like this graphic, and I fucked up the text. After I had already like delivered it, I noticed like like a week later. Oh no! And they were like, "Thank you so much. It's perfect." They printed like five hundred copies of it, and literally like it was like it was such a egregious typo. It was like a full sentence typed twice by accident. No, I know. Like I had like one a copy job. Paste literally, problem. exactly. And I was like, "Do I tell them and show my show myself to be an idiot?" Or do I let them just... Absolutely not. And so I didn't. (laughs) That's when you become an ostrich. Exactly. Neck, head, shoulders, all in the ground. Straight down. Yep. (laughs) And you know what? They never noticed. Stuff it in the box. They never noticed. Thank God. Push it down. Or they didn't say anything. It doesn't exist. Exactly. I know. But still haunts me to this day. Mm. After the consul leaves, the princeps calls in the commander of the Tri-Solarin fleet. Okay. The fleet at this point is still in the last phase of construction. And they need 60,000 more hours until it is space-worthy. Okay. The princeps says to the commander of the Trisolarian fleet, I will present my plan before the joint session and propose that the fleet embark in that direction promptly. The commander says, but prince... What's my new monotone voice going to be? How many monotone voices can you do? But princeps, given the frequency of the transmission, we can't pinpoint the source with much precision. This is a very uh, Mm. wimpy commander of the Trisolarian fleet. Maybe he's more like, but princeps, given the frequency of the transmission, we cannot pinpoint the source 
with any precision. Mm. We can only travel one one hundredth the speed of light, and we only have enough power to decelerate one time. Essentially, like, they can't speed up from slowing down, which you explained to me yeah, in the past. They, they literally have, like, one shot at setting their course, because if they mess it up, they 100% will miss where they're trying to go. And if that happens, the entire fleet will fall into the abyss of space forever. And the princeps says, Look at the three suns around us. At any moment, the plasma outer layer of one of them will expand and swallow its last planet, our world. We have no choice. We must roll the dice. And that is the end of the chapter That's Trisolaris, the listener. So now we know what the listener That's is. That's fun background. I'm glad we got that sort of like peek behind the curtain and an introduction to the story from the actual point of view from a Trisolarian to this point. Because, I mean, obviously, everybody but the Adventists are afraid of their arrival. So they've right. kind of been this like nameless, faceless, amorphous boogeyman, even though they still don't have a form. We don't know conclusively what they look right. like. Right. I was like, this was not a lot of information I also, Yet. my first read-through was not expecting to feel as much empathy towards Listener 1379 as I did. Yeah, I know. Like, I almost I almost felt more empathy towards Listener 1379 than I did with Ye Wenji. And I felt a lot of empathy towards her. I mean, up to a point. Really? You felt a lot of empathy for Listener 1379, huh? Yeah, they're the only person yeah. doing something different. And in their case, mm, yeah. And in their case, <laughs> it's, you know, something know. different for an actual very noble cause. Yeah, especially when you're living in such a meaningless existence. I mean, it really makes you mm -hmm. grateful for the fact that, like, we can, we can get our noses swabbed twice a week <laughs> and putz around on Reddit yeah. and read books. And play with Dolly and chat GPT and yeah. Totally. All the things. Earth is perfect. <laughs> well, next week, chapter 33. Oh, where are we going? The title is Trisolaris colon Sophon, which is a Ooh, word I wait. that I have seen cross my eyes. You know, on the three body subreddit, but I'm very like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't know anything about this yet. Like, I can't look yep. at it. So well, I'll tell you without telling you, you effectively already know a lot about it. Okay. Because we have witnessed a conversation between two people that deals with sort of its particular ins and outs. And that's all I'll say about it. Well, I know nothing of what that means, but I look forward to finding out. Uh, we are. Do you want a hint? No. Okay. I'm guessing it's like having to do with the two protons that have not come back up because that's been a cliffhanger for a while. It's, it's going to be a big one. I'm very excited. It picks up 85,000 trisolarian hours later, and that's approximately 8.6 Earth years later. So that's well after the time they needed to finish to make the fleet 
space worthy right ostensibly it's after they've already set sail for earth and our solar system right interesting interesting he says (laughs) knowing exactly what happens (laughs) well until then mommy have a patreon (laughs) (laughs) there's a the Trisolarian tier. We've got our Frontiers of Science. And then we've got our $3 tier for those who are saving for retirement. But still would like to buy us a coffee. That's right. <laughs> we post exclusive episodes every month. Outtakes from these episodes. Yeah. Behind the scenes content. Even content that is specifically formulated for our community that we're growing over on Patreon. So if you're interested in joining us there, we would be so grateful to have you at patreon.com slash radarpeak. If you enjoy enjoyed today's episode please please we're begging you give us a review and a star rating on apple Podcasts or on spotify and share it with a friend we would so love to have anybody who loves the three-body problem join us very soon we will be talking about the show as it releases so we'll give sort of like a, a recap mode and coming up this summer we're we're looking at the summer of subscribers where we'll be focusing our main energy into creating exclusive content and episodes for just our patreon subscribers ahead of our relaunch of season two in book two this fall that's right brett and you're reminding me actually i just want to say i went to the climbing gym this week and uh-huh. somehow lost my car key between i saw that on your instagram yes between the between my parking the car and entering the building, my car key vanished. And I looked and I looked and I You know I what looked. happened? A four-dimensional being probably pulled it away from you. Yeah. So now it only exists in their dimension. Well, that's what I thought, actually, initially. And I, I explicitly asked the four-dimensional being to return it. And I they do always listen eventually. And my friend went a few days later, went to the Lost and Found. And guess what they found in the Lost and Found box? Mm. My car key... On top of a copy of the three-body problem. That's crazy. And she goes, oh, my God, did you leave your book, too? I was like, no, my book's right here. That's crazy, Isn't dude. that weird? What? All the more evidence that it was a four-dimensional being playing sick hijinks on me. <laughs> you spoke to them, and they said, lol, watch this. Yeah, no, truly. It was crazy. I was like, I mean, That's leave crazy. the book and put a post-it with my podcast on it. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. Wow. Very weird. It's nice to that's know. That's like almost, I believe it because like you've never lied to me, but like that's almost unbelievable. I know. And it, at the very least, it's nice to know that there's at least one other person in Los Angeles reading the three body problem or True. was reading the three body problem yeah. before they <laughs> before lost Before they the abandoned book. it yeah. to climb some rocks. But on another level, wow, that's I see amazing. you, fourth dimensional, mischievous yeah. gnome. Or elf. Anything you want to say? Any last words before we sign off? Numbers, numbers, numbers in, in my, my eyes. eyes. <laughs> numbers, numbers, numbers in my workplace. <laughs> we are so glad to have had Instamel here joining us all the way from Connecticut today. Thank you for joining us. I'm Brett. I'm Allie. And I'm Instamel. And I'm done saying words. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Numbers, numbers, numbers in my eyes. Reprise. Numbers, 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 ding dong, ding dong, bam, 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 bam. Listener 137 is at the door. Yeah, princeps. <laughs> You've been listening to Radar Peak, a three-body podcast. 
subscribe and download on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for exclusive content we might not have time for, subscribe to our Patreon. One last thing before you go. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave a review and tell your friends about us. Join in on the conversation when you follow us on Twitter at RadarPeakPod. See you there.